Hello and welcome to Victoria's Living Christian Center's Victoria's Living Podcast. Victoria's Living Christian Center is a church that strives to stand for goodness and is committed to encourage and show a better way. A church whose vision is to see God's people living a victorious life. This is accomplished through community outreach, education, healthy living, and support groups while still providing spiritual growth. Our goal is to meet the needs of man, spiritually as well as naturally. So welcome and enjoy. Good evening and welcome to Victoria's Living Christian Center Gospel Bible Chat Room. I'm Pastor Ruth Gardner and we are starting our series on tonight. We are still in the book of Romans and we're going to be going into chapter 11. We're going to open up in prayer and we're going to get started. Amen. Uh, let us go before the throne. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord God, for keeping us, covering us and protecting us. Father, we came home. We found all things well. Father, you kept us from all hurt, harm, and danger. Father, you allowed us to make it home safely, and our loved ones are home safely, and we give thanks unto you. Father, as we go forth on tonight, we pray, oh God, that you would just speak to us, open our eyes to see deeper in your scriptures, open up our ears of understanding. Father, allow these words, these lessons, these uh, unraveling of your mysteries that will be planted in good soil within us. Father, let us be hearers and not only hearers, but also doers of your word. Father, we come against all distractions, all chaotic spirits that try to interrupt the flow of the service, even the uh, airwaves and the internet. Uh, we pray against any type of malfunctionings of the uh, internet and the frequency, Father. We pray that you would have full course, Father, that your angels be encamped around about us as we go forth and study more of you. God, we love you. We thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity to feast on your word. Father, we don't take it for granted. We don't, we don't count a robbery, Father. We thank you and we appreciate you and all that you've done and doing and will do. Father, we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are, we finished up chapter 10. And um, now we're going into chapter 11. Just to do a brief, quick recap of chapter 10. We found out some important things that uh, Paul was talking to the people of Israel and one of the things he pointed out that we discussed was about being zealous without knowledge being on fire or having a passion for a cause but not really knowing the full extent of it um, being zealous uh, for God but not knowing um, what God really wants and um, he talks about how um, I know he knew about that because he himself 
was zealous for the cause of Christ, but he really didn't know God. He was zealous and persecuting the Christians because he thought they were wrong and he thought that he was doing the right thing. But because he did not know God and he didn't understand what God really truly wanted and desired, he felt that, you know, he didn't realize that he was on the wrong side of the fence until he came into a relationship with the Lord when God met him on the road to Damascus and God was able to minister unto him, then he got the full picture and full understanding and revelation of who God was. And then he realized where he was error. And he said that, you know, we can be, you know, as Christians, we can be on fire for the Lord, but not really know God himself. We have a lot of people, a lot of leaders um, that are out here that are on fire, quote unquote, for God, but they don't know God. They don't know what he truly stands for. They don't know what he truly wants from his people. So, you know, we can have that spirit of, of zeal, zeal uh, we call it zeal, and not really know what, not really know who God is and what God truly desires from us. And he made that point. Another point that, um, he pointed out in the lesson was um, uh, that uh, Romans 10 and 9, where it just says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And um, one thing the writer part points out is our justification before God comes from the faith we possess in our hearts. And our salvation comes from the confession that we make before other people. So we're justified through faith that we have within ourselves. That's that faith, that uh, full assurance in a true heart, as Apostle Kent use it as an acronym, full assurance in a true heart. Uh, the faith that we believe without a doubt in our hearts, within ourselves, that uh, we believe who Jesus was, is, Rather, Jesus is the son of God manifested. God, Jesus is God manifested in the flesh and that, you know, he was also the son of God. And because of that, our salvation comes from the confession we make before other people. So basically our salvation, how we live, how we live confesses to other people our salvation. So we don't have to walk around with banners or with t-shirts, or with collars, or with doilies, or carrying a Bible, or all these things that associated to that's associated with salvation to prove to other people that we believe God and us and, and, and that we were walking in right standing with God and that we are walking in holiness. Our confession, our life, how we live, how we interact should be enough to show other people that we uh, have a relationship and that we are confessing our salvation. Our, our life should be a confession of who we are, king's kid, royal priesthood. Um, so that's the other point that he made. And the last one was that, you know, even though the... Uh, even though Israel rejected him, God already knew that that was going to happen because it was spoken of. Paul quotes us um, Psalms, Isaiah and Moses to show us that God saw this coming. It was a part of his plan to, to use the Gentiles, a nation that have 
no understanding. That was verse number 19 in Romans chapter 10. It was a nation that had no understanding. They did not know, they did not read the Torah. They did not know about the, the laws of God and, and all the things that took place, the parting of the Red Sea. They weren't told these stories. They were just, um, they had uh, uh, Paul and all the apostles and disciples went out and they told about the good news of Jesus Christ. And that was enough for them to believe. So he knew that, so God knew that Israel was not going to receive Jesus. He knew that they were going to reject him. So he already had a nation, the Gentiles to, to come in and kind of stand in the gap or he allowed the opportunity for the Gentiles to come and to receive salvation. And that's where we're picking up in chapter 11. So I wanted to give that recap because really chapters 10 and chapter 11 kind of goes together. 10 flows into chapter 11. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to allow the, the uh, reader to read. And then um, we're going to break it down. There's only 21 chapters in Romans chapter 10, and there are 20, no, it's a little bit longer in chapter 11. Eh, all right, we'll just do chapter 11. I was going to let chapter 10 and 11 play, but for the sake of time, we'll just go ahead and proceed with chapter 11. But those are the three uh, key points I wanted to point out and that we um, found out that we were uh, discussing at our last chat room meeting. Um, Elder, do you have anything you want to add? Elder Joya, do you have anything you want to add? Any points that I missed or something that we talked about that that uh, rang true to your spirit? <laughs> no, I don't have anything to add. Nope. Oh, okay. All right. So um, let's go ahead and we're going to start with Romans chapter 11. And I'm going to pull it up. And of course, it's going to be the NIV version. And we are going to go ahead and uh, listen. So let me get my Bible. Okay. It should return up. All right, here we go. Let me just move this out the way. And we're going to start off um, 1 through 10. We're going to stop at 10, verse 10. Romans chapter 11. I ask them, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. 
The elect among them did, but the others were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Okay. So, as I was saying about chapter 10, God knew that Israel was going to reject them and that he already had the Gentiles in place. I'm going to look at that um, a little bit deeper. But also, as we see when he goes into chapter 11, he's saying, you know, God did not reject his people. The people rejected him. Okay. Even though he deserved God's rejection, God still chose and accepted Paul, even Paul. Paul knew that there were still many more Jews that had or would turn to faith in Jesus. Just like in the days of Elijah, there were in Paul's day and in our day too, Jews whose hearts are tender toward Jesus. Like Elijah, we may not always personally see them, but they are most certainly there. Today, in fact, there are more Jewish Christians than ever before in human history. The tragedy of Roman 11 is that there were so many Israelites who willingly gave themselves over to a spirit of stupor, as spoken of in verse number eight. Sorry, this thing is... Okay. But even still, the Lord chose for himself those who would be redeemed. He did this from Paul's day right up until now. So what he's saying is like, no, I didn't, I didn't reject my people because, you know, I knew they were going to reject me. So I'm just opening up the opportunity for others to receive. And so he's going to the Gentiles and he's giving the Gentiles the opportunity to receive salvation. But, you know, he knew that eventually there are some, not all Jews are going to reject him. There are eventually some are going to come back. But his prayer and his desire is that all will return back to him. But he hasn't rejected them. He hasn't given up on them. Um, and, and even today, there's like a show on TV that's uh, Jews for Jesus. I watch them from time to time because I like how they, what they do is they take the Bible or the Torah and they, they take the scripture and they show and explain a little bit deeper and more detailed how Jesus and God fits into the picture. And I watched them from time to time on television. They're, they're called Jews with Jesus. And there's another one that um, chosen people ministry. Um, they're also of a Jewish background, but they also speak about Jesus as being the son of God and everything. So yeah, there's a lot of Jewish Christians now. Um, so also, also I wanted to point out this part. Um, the thing that I found that was very interesting where um, he talked about Elijah and now he appealed to God about against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. And I am the only one left and they are trying to kill me. 
And God answered him and said, I reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So two, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were grace, grace would no longer be grace. So there is a remnant that God chose by grace. And we know that grace is unmerited favor. It's not anything that anybody has done. It was just people that he's chosen. There is a remnant that was chosen by grace. But that but means that there are, uh, there was, there are people who, who really truly believe who really truly believe and they're doing all and living all that they can according to the word and the will of God. And remember with Elijah, he felt that he was the only one that was left, but that goes to show you that there are so many, even back in Elijah time, there were 7,000, 7,000 who have that mouth the need to bail. And when we were studying about this in my class, the Prophets Institute class, that during that time, there was like over 1,200 people, 1,200 prophets who were um, taking a knee, bowing to Baal, and going under um, Ahab and Jezebel's rule. And we have to remember one thing that's really um, crazy. It's not crazy, but it was an eye opener for me was that Ahab and Jezebel, they were not pagan nations. They were, Ahab was one of the kings over Israel. So when yeah, he was, I'm sorry. What'd you say, huh? I was agreeing. I was agreeing. I said, yeah, he was. Right. So, so you have Israel, Jezebel, perverted and 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 turn out how you say it turn them out the prophets there were a hundred one thousand two hundred plus prophets that she had under her rule and when it came down where they had the the two the contest where where he had the altar and he built an altar and he poured water on it There was 450 prophets then. And then there was another 400, 800 that were back, that were getting slain. It, it was, it was, it was like 1200 people. Cause we, um, Apostle Kent, you know, the class we were in, the way he broke it down, cause I want to say it wrong. I have to look at my notes, but there was about approximately 1200 prophets that were under their rule that turned from God. And that's why he was saying they killed your prophets and tore down your altars because that's what they were doing. They were tearing down altars and they were killing the prophets. That's why they were hiding in caves because she was going around killing them. If they didn't come on their side, they were killed. That was the ultimatum. Come on their side, serve Baal and Ashtra or get killed. And he felt that he was the only one, but God said, no, 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 no. I got about 7,000. They're just hiding. 
and I reserved them for myself. There's 7,000 have not bowed down to Baal. And I was just like, wow. So, so when I, when I first was reading all about this, I was thinking that King Ahab and, and, and his Jezebel, his queen or wife, whatever, were a pagan nation that was coming against Israel. When I first heard about it, now that I have, you know, that's why I love reading the Bible. I love it. It's, it's so much understanding. You know, you got to read with understanding. And that's my prayer. God, let me read with understanding. Because when I first was reading it back in the day, when I heard about Jezebel and Ahab, I thought they were pagan, a pagan king and queen that was coming against the nation of Israel. I did not realize that they were, that Ahab was a king over Israel and his wife was from a paganistic background came in and twisted and turned the people of Israel to worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth. I did not know that. That was just a little sidebar. And it went out when I realized that I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. He was a king for Israel. Did you know that? Or am I just the only one? <laughs> So if I was saying, yeah, I knew that, duh, but I didn't. <laughs> when I read it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. But when I was, when I was first, you know, reading, right, he was my first, when I was newly saved, I thought, that's what I thought. I thought that they were kings for um, another country that was coming against Israel. Because back then I didn't know, you know, I was new, didn't know much. I didn't know about the split. Then I started learning about the split between Rehoboam and Jeroboam and how Israel was on the north and Judah and Benjamin was down on the south. And, and I was like, oh, that's, that explains it. That's why I thought they were coming against the people, the people of Israel, because I thought that the, the kingdom that was in the north was coming against the kingdom of the south, which was Judah and Benjamin. I didn't know that, that it was, the kingdom had split until I really started reading, reading and studying. But I always thought that they were, um, I thought they were kings from another pagan country, which was very interesting. And now when you, now that I know, and I'm reading what I'm saying, I see this is like these, we were, these were prophets that were, um, that were from, um, these weren't false prophets. I mean, these were, um, they were not, how did, how did he say it? Apostle Kent said, false prophets are not just born a false prophet. They at one point had, was walking with God, but something caused them to be, uh, you know, turned out or perverted. And these prophets came from the prophet, the institute that was established in the region by Samuel, Elijah was taking over. When Samuel died, Elijah took over with the prophets. But that area had got, when Ahab came on the scene, that area got got perverted, distorted because they started bringing in and worshiping um, Baalism and, and Ashtoreth. And, and if you go back in history, it really, really started with Solomon because Solomon had all those concubines. 
and he worshiped their gods. And it says it in the Bible. He had 700 wives and I don't know how many concubines and all these women, and he worshiped their gods, quote unquote. So he was really the one that started introducing all of this up in that area, in that region. Interesting, isn't it? But anyway, those are the two things I wanted, wanted to point out about um, this particular chapter is the fact that, you know, he, God did not reject his people. They rejected him, but he never rejected them. Even to this day, he has not rejected Israel. He knows and he believes that they are coming back. And we see slowly that his people are returning back unto him as we see today with the Jewish Christians and, and everything. So we were engrafted in, we were given the opportunity, which I think was really, really a, a, a blessing. We appreciate that the Lord opens, decided to open salvation unto us. And so now we're going to talk about being engrafted, engrafted branches. And, and um, we know what that means. So we're going to go ahead and read that, let the, uh, We'll listen to not read but listen to the bible being read here we're going to start at verse number 11 again i ask did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery not at all rather because of their transgression salvation has come to the gentiles to make israel envious but if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I'm talking to you, Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry, in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Okay. Paul tells us that is because Israel's rejected God that salvation has been offered to the Gentiles. At this point, Paul gets very direct in his address to Gentile Christians and addressed that many Gentile Christians leaders did not pay attention to through the centuries paul knew that his calling was to the gentiles but all the while his secret ambition was also to cause his fellow jews to turn green with ivy when they saw the favor and grace on gentiles that they knew was from the one true god he hoped that they would see the evidence of god's grace on gentile christians and long for the same favor from their creator one of the most important statements that Paul makes in Romans is this. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. The day that Jews accept Jesus will be the greatest day of blessing in human history. There will be no small part due to the prophecy that Jesus declared on his ascension to Jerusalem. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
That was in Matthew 23, verse 39. Jesus told us that he would not return until his people, the Israelites, proclaimed with their mouth that Jesus was, in truth, their Messiah. The day that they will accept him, as Paul tells us in Romans 11, will truly be a day of life from the dead. So there's come, that's the part that we're talking about. There's going to come a time where they will, it's going to happen that the Jews are going, that Israel's going to acknowledge, the nation of Israel is going to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, that he was the Messiah. And once that happened, Jesus says himself, he's coming back. Now, when that happens, we do not know. No man knows the hour or the time when the son of man comes, but it's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen. And we see now how um, there are more and more Jewish people are turning over to Christianity and they're calling them Jew, you know, Jew Christians, Jewish Christians. There are more and more people who are acknowledging that Jesus was the Messiah that was spoken of in the Bible and the Torah. Because see, they all they have is the, the, the they just go by the Torah. They don't have the New Testament. They don't have the entire Old Testament. They just have the first five of the books. But there are so many prophets, prophecies in those first five chapters that point to Jesus. And um, it is happening. And it is happening. I like when he talks about the dough offered as first fruit is holy, then the whole batch is holy. And if the roots is holy, so are the branches. What would you say about that? How would you, what, 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 what's the question I'm trying to ask? What is that saying to you? Joy, Elder Joy. That reminds me of that scripture that says a little, a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump type of thing. Or um, um kind of like one one bad apple spoils the bunch. And you know, because he said it's at the foundation. So if the root, if the root is bad, then the then the whole thing is bad. But if the root is good, then the whole thing is good. So it's kind of like whatever you set your foundation and whether it's good or bad, that it, it'll be manifested, you know, because it's from the root. Mm -hmm. So that's that's pretty much what I'm getting out of it. Like you have to build on that. It, it builds on that. Whatever. Mm -hmm. Your foundation, whatever your stand is in the beginning, it builds on that. And whatever's planted originally, mm -hmm. whether it be good or bad, the whole thing is going to be good or bad. So like you said, like the apple, you, the bad seed is planted. Anything that grows from that seed, fruit, leaves, branches is all going to be bad because that root of it is bad but he's saying here the fact that it's holy and that it's planted and it's holy anything that grows from it or climb or you know grows from it or or extends from it is holy which now we're going to go into about the wild olive excuse me the wild olive branches <laughs> i ate something that's really giving me ass sorry 
We're going to read uh, verses 17 through 24. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in amongst the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of their unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Okay, so just by listening and, and, and to that, what is that saying to you? I'm getting you to talk tonight. What is that saying to you, Elder Joy? There's so much in here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to tell me what it, what it, what is what he's saying. What is he saying? What is what is what is Paul saying right right here in this passage? Do you need to read it again? Do you have your Bible out? You don't have your Bible out. You're just listening. I was listening. Okay. But I, let me let me let me. Huh. Huh. Ah. Because he said, I don't know, it was a lot. <laughs> I know. Okay, let's, make, let's, let's dissect it. The branches were broken off so that you could be grafted in. Right. But if they were broken off because of unbelief, they weren't, he didn't break them off. They were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand in faith. So he was saying, you know, the branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. So he gave us, because they rejected him, God knew he was going to reject them. So now he offers salvation to the Gentiles. And because of this, they're grafted in to the olive tree. Okay. Salvation, mm -hmm. they're grafted in. But they weren't broken off purposely. They were broken off, you know, because of unbelief. Because they did not believe that's the only reason why it was broken off and that we were given the opportunity to be grafted in. So he says, don't be arrogant, but tremble. Yeah. So like some people are like saying, you know, oh, they had their chance. The Jews had their opportunity. Now God is coming to us. And you know, and people are acting in a, in a, in a, in a, a mindset of arrogance, but they need to realize that 
yo, check it out. You only grafted in because of, of their unbelief. So don't be arrogant. Be grateful. Because if they believed and they never had unbelief, we wouldn't have the opportunity. We would be lost. We would never have the opportunity to receive salvation. The only reason that the Gentiles were offered salvation is because Israel did not believe. Now that's scary. Because it says, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will mm. not spare you either. So consider, your, consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. So he grafted us, but it's still, there's, a, there's still a condition. We now that because we're grafted in and God has offered salvation to the Gentiles, it don't mean okay, we we in this now, we got this. No, we got to do the same thing. We got to continue in obedience and kindness. Because if not, guess what? He's gonna cut us off too. And if they do not persist in unbelief, like say, say, like if they do not persist in unbelief, say they go, you know what? Um I believe, you know, I think I was wrong about Jesus. I think he is the Messiah. And then they go, start, you know, they start doing little stuff and start reading and, and, and taking, you know, going into the scriptures and really searching and, and realize Jesus was the Messiah and believe it. They didn't grab it back in. So there's the opportunity. There is an opportunity. They're not written off, you know, and he never rejected them. And that's the point he's trying to make in this chapter. God didn't reject you guys. God has not rejected. And, and see, here's the thing. Paul's talking to the Gentiles at this point because he wants the Gentiles to know that, yeah, they may not believe Jesus right now and they may be walking in error, but don't think they're going to stay out there forever. God has given them time to realize and to understand exactly who Jesus was. But in the meantime, God is offering this opportunity for us to be engrafted in, for the Gentiles to be engrafted in. So come on and take this opportunity. But the same rule applies. You got to live holy. You can't just come over here free willy nilly. And because, you know, salvation of you, you can do whatever you want to do. You can talk to everyone to do. And don't get high-minded and big-headed because, you know, God is offering salvation to us and not to Israel. Because Israel still is his chosen people. They just, right now, they just, they can't wrap their head around the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. But once they come to the knowledge of, they're going to be grafted back in. So, you know, this is not just for the gentiles even though right now it seems like it is because israel is still walking in disbelief but there are some right now we see we see a lot of jews starting to believe that jesus was the messiah so they're coming back so he explained to them about the olive tree and the branches like you know being engrafted in you know, yeah, we're engrafted in, but you know, even if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you're gonna get, you're gonna get, you're gonna get um cut off. You'll get cut off. And look at the difference between broken off 
Israel was broken off, but for us, we're going to get cut off. <clears throat> so, yeah. So, yeah. So, anyway. So, Paul now gives us a warning that has been scarcely heeded throughout Christian history. He creates the analogy of an olive tree of which Jewish branch was pruned off because it lacked fruit and to which a Gentile wild branch was grafted back in. Paul warns us that we Gentiles are not the root. The root is and always will be Jewish. We have been grafted into a Jewish religion, something we should be careful not to forget. The warning to us is that if a Jewish branch can be removed, so can a Gentile branch. That is a terrifying thought. A logical question when reading this passage is, can we lose our salvation? The answer to that is a longer discussion than we have time for here, but that's not the point Paul is making here. Paul is specifically talking about walking in the fear of the Lord, something incredibly necessary for salvation. That's why he says, do not be arrogant, but tremble. Walk in the fear of the Lord. Know that his grace is nothing that you've done because, you know, at any moment, the sovereignty of God, God can allow certain things to come in our lives that can cause us to be moved. We are warned clearly to tremble with fear that may sound like something completely contrary to the modern teaching that Jesus loves you, but it is completely complementary, completely complementary to it. Solomon, over a thousand years before Paul, made this bold statement. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's Proverbs 9 and 10. Many times the terrible blow of this fear is softened by calling it reverence. But that's not what the Bible tends for us to understand. It is truly a terrifying reality to understand that there is one who quite literally holds our eternal fate in his hands. We really could end up in hell, an eternity of suffering, punishment, and banishment from God's presence. The fact that hell is very real is a very real option for us should cause us to be afraid. That fear is necessary for us to approach God in the proper fashion. If we do not truly understand the fate that awaits us, we will more likely look at the good news of Jesus' salvation as just regular news. It is much easier to forget that we must continue in faith. As Paul warns us, if we do not remember the truly fearful future that could await us. Paul calls this kindness call this kindness and sternness of God. He is kind because there is a way to escape this horrible future, but there is no other way to escape it except by the way he has prescribed. We cannot form our own way to God. We cannot justify ourselves, redefine sin, or find some alternate path. It will not work. There's no shortcut. There's no, uh, what do you say, salvation for dummies book 
There's no, uh, what do you call those, those little books where you get like play games and they give you, uh, like, um, what do you call it? Kind of like cheat sheet, like a cheat sheet, like, uh, what do they call it? The games have these little hidden treasures, cheat things you could do. You know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's a there's a games. There's a games. Uh, praise the Lord, Sister Royale. There's games that you could play, and um, it gives you like little um, secret codes, secret codes that you could unlock. To certain games they used to have them I forgot what it's called but anyway there's no book like that there's no dummy there's no salvation for dummies it's not going to work we cannot redefine sin or find our alternate alternate path the jews who were attached to this cultivated olive tree chose to abandon their roots and find new ways to justify themselves from sin and they were cut off Let me read that again. The Jews who were attached to this cultivated olive tree chose to abandon their roots and find new ways to justify themselves from sin, and they were cut off. If God did not spare the natural children, why would he spare those he has adopted into his chosen family? The great news is that Fear of God is not what rules our lives as believers. It is only what brings us to God. Solomon said that the fear was the beginning of wisdom. Fear is how we come to God, but joy is what we learn in his presence. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. That's Psalms 16 and 11. So what that little part we just read and discussed about the olive trees, the branches that we're engrafted in and that it was because that Israel unbelief caused a disconnect from the olive tree but the root of the tree is still Israel. It's still the Jewish customs, that's the root. And the tree branches, Israel disbelieved, fell off the trees, the leaves, the um, branches were broken off. And so now we have these wild branches that are engrafted, which is the Gentiles. So now they're receiving the benefits of salvation, but they're still, like I said before, there's still a requirement, and that is to stick to the plan, follow the plan, the walk with Jesus, walk with the Lord, salvation, be holy, don't compromise, justify your sin. And what he said, the last thing I read was that they justified their sin, and that's why they were cut off. They found, they searched. Remember how we talked about how they came up with their own laws? They went back into the, the when God gave them the laws, they went back like time, like years or so later and started writing these own laws. They were searching in the book and searching and trying to find loopholes. And so they wrote all these different laws. 
that would justify their sin. And God cut them off because they were trying, they, they took the word and they tried to twist it and turn it so that it suit them. So it would justify their wrongdoings. And God was like, no, that's not what I told you to do. I gave you the laws. So now because of that, and because of their unbelief, they have been disconnected from the tree. So now the Gentiles are in the spot. But once again, just like he removed Israel, he can remove us as well. It's not like it's a, it's a permanent residence. We can be cut off as well. So that's what Paul is telling the Gentiles in this particular scriptures that, you know, even though you're grafted in and God is, is giving you this opportunity, doesn't mean that you can't be cut off too. If you start acting up, going crazy, start doing stuff contrary to the word, you'll get cut off too. So any questions so far? Any comments? Nope, no questions. Everything is on point. Okay, uh, Sister Royale, we are on Romans chapter 11 and we have gotten to verse... Uh, verse number 25 so we're going to go ahead and listen a little bit more I've been playing it as um, as it goes along so we're going to start started back playing at verse number 25 okay here we go I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Mm. Okay, so the church had a dramatic shift in Paul's day from being 100% Jewish to almost exclusively Gentile. Paul was afraid of the Gentiles becoming conceited by this reality, and for good reason. Paul no doubt saw this growing in his day, and from time until now, the church has been largely very anti-Semitic. There are entire theological systems that believe the Jews gave away their favor status before God and that the Gentile church has replaced the Jews as God's chosen people. This was very troubling to Paul for several reasons. He probably saw what would be done to his people if this took root. But he also feared that the Gentiles would miss the true meaning behind the Jews' rejection. 
Paul knew that there was coming a day when every single Jewish person would acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah. There are far too many Old Testament prophecies about this to list here, but Paul quotes Isaiah to back this up. There is coming a day when Jesus will return and take away the sin of his chosen people, specifically Israel. As Gentiles, we should look to the day when all Israel will be saved with great anticipation because it will be one of the greatest moments in human history, not just for Jews, but for Gentiles as well. It will be the moment when Jesus returns and ushers in perfect peace and governance for all eternity. So this, what Paul is saying, that the, the Jews are coming back. We're not God's, we were not. Mm. <laughs> I'm trying to spit it out. We are not his chosen people. Israel is his chosen people, period. And there's so many prophecies in the book, in the Old Testament that proves it and that, that will reinforce that statement. Um, see, it's kind of amazing how it's, it's amazing how religion, Jesus, it's, it started with the Jewish religion and then it just, it spread to the Gentiles and the Gentiles received it. But then, like he said, there's so much, there's theological studies and, and, and how it's just shifted from Jewish religion. What did he say? There are entire theological systems that believe the Jews gave away their favorite status before God and that the Gentile church has a place to Jews as God's chosen people. And there are some people, some religions feel strongly about that, that they have been replaced, that the Jews have been replaced, that we have been engrafted in. And I remember, you know, hearing some preachers, preachers preach that my younger, earlier years of salvation, that we, we, we've been grafted in now. And, you know, we the ones, we, we the people now, like, you know, we've been engrafted in, the Jews rejected him. The Jews rejected him. God rejected the Jews. And now he's, he's given uh, the Gentiles, he's done turned to the Gentiles now. But that's false. Paul wants to point out that the reason why we have been given this opportunity to receive Christ is because of the fact that the Jews did not believe. So he said, okay, you don't believe, I'll let you go over there and stew on that. I'm going to the Gentiles. So he's granting mercy. He's giving them mercy right now. And he says it in verse number 30, just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. So he's granting us, he's granting the Jewish people mercy. 
He's giving them an opportunity, just like he granted us mercy. He didn't allow, allow us to die where we were, but he's giving us an opportunity to repent. And he still extends mercy. Not only now, to not just to the Gentiles now, but to the Jewish, Jewish people as well, to the Jews as well. So now he's extending mercy to all of us in, hope, in hopes that we all will get the picture, that we all will come to the knowledge of God, that we all will repent and accept him as our personal savior. But because we are engrafted in, it doesn't mean we have clout. It doesn't mean that we're better. It doesn't mean that, you know, we are the, we're replacing the Israel. We're not replacing Israel. We just, we just need, what Paul wants us to understand that is that we should be grateful for this rejection because it gave us an opportunity to be received. Because if they never rejected Jesus, this would never happen. And that's what Paul's trying to point out in this scripture, that if they did not reject Jesus back then, we would never have this opportunity. But because we have this opportunity, we need to be very, very humble and grateful. Not saying that we should worship or, or you know, give all this, you know, special privileges to, to the people of Israel. But we need to understand that because of their disbelief and the rejection of, of Jesus, it opened the door for us Gentiles. So now here we are. But the thing is, is when somehow down through history, as we go on, you know, all these different theological viewpoints and all these different religions started to manifest. And it was not God's intent for all these different denominations. Once again, it's man rewriting the law to justify their sin. There's only one law, God's law. But all these different religions took bits and pieces of it and rewrote it, they rewrote the narrative so that it fits into their beliefs, but it's not really the true belief or the true knowledge that God wants us to know. Does that make sense? Yes, it does, yep. Because that's, and, that, and, and, and it, it proves, it, it reinforces the reason why God took us, me and Pastor John, to learn about the Jewish culture. You know, I know people thought we were trying to switch to Judaism. We're not trying to switch to Judaism. God was trying to show us the original intent of the good news, the original intent of salvation, what exactly what God wanted. He didn't want all these different denominations. That's why we are non-denominational. We is Bible people. We believe the word. We're not taking on any type of denomination. Because we, 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 we follow the word. What, the, what is the word saying? It's not, we're not trying to put God in a box. We're not trying to you know, put blinders on. We only see one thing, like one track mind. We're not, we're not trying to do that. Because that's not what God was about. Anybody got any questions or comments? Nope. <laughs> Anything said is true. 
There's nothing to say. Do you agree or disagree? Does anyone question or, or agree or disagree? Let's have a conversation about that. A disagree about what? About about the, uh, about Israel. What I'm saying, what I'm saying, what I'm explaining, what I'm what I'm presenting. Ooh, excuse me, I'm trying to drink this bubbly because I ate something that's really giving me gas. Um, so I'm trying not to burp so much, but I'm burping under my breath. But um, like you know about the fact that the whole connection with Gentiles, the whole connection with salvation, the plan of salvation, the engrafting, the wild tree, the olive branches, all of that. Anybody have any questions or, oh, mm -hmm. oh, Royal says, I agree. Okay. She must get, get the cheering. Everybody, everybody, everybody hollering, screaming. <laughs> says Mike. This is Mike. Okay. All hey, right. Mike. Hey there. Hey there, Sprite Monkey. <laughs> but so, okay. So let's uh, read the doxicology. Do anybody know what a doxicology is? Let's look it up real quick. We got time. What time is it? Yeah, we, wrap this up. we about to wrap this up. Let's look. Let's see what doxicology means. I learned this too in class. It's not a benediction. That some people think. Some people think doxicology and benediction is the same. It is not. And I'm going to find it real quick. Oh, excuse me. Doxicology. I didn't say toxicology. I said doxicology. D-O-X, there it goes, doxicology. Whew, it's hot. Uh, trying to find what in the world he keeps telling about doc toxicology. I'm not looking at toxicology. This crazy thing. Am I spelling it wrong? Maybe I'm spelling it wrong. D. Ooh, my goodness. Oh, doxology. That's why I'm putting doxology. Doxology? <laughs> Don't be corrected by speeches. <laughs> no too big a word for me. <laughs> oh, doxology. It's not a benediction. Whew, I just had a hot flash. I'm sorry, y'all. Give me a minute. Where my fan at? Oh, goodness. That's so funny. I was talking to your sister, Charmaine. She said, Mom, I'm having hot flashes. I said, you're getting old. <laughs> she said, it's terrible. What is this? I said, child, you're getting old. 
got hot flashes. Women has hot flashes. Okay. Doxology is an expression of praise to God, especially a short hymn sung as part of a Christian worship. It's a hymn or psalm of praise to God, a form of words containing an inscription of praise to God, specifically the Gloria in Excelsis or Great Doxology, the Gloria Patri or Lesser Doxology, or some metro inscription to the Trinity. Like the beginning, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And Christian worship is a hymn expressing praise and honor to God or formal praise to God designed to be sung or chanted by the choir or the congregation. So a doxology is not a benediction. A benediction is a closing, but a doxology takes you to the next. It's an, exhort, it's an exhortation. It takes you to the next level. So what was what is at the end of Romans is a doxology, uh, the mind of the Lord. And I'm going to go ahead and let it play because I wanted to kind of explain to you what's going on with this. So he's he's not concluding. He's going, he's shifting to another, another gear or another level of praise with God. And that's what a doxology is, a doxology. So we're going to hear this doxology and it's going to wrap us up. Okay, here we go. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So the thoughts of God's people fully accepting Jesus causes Paul to go into one of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament. This excitement produces what we now call Paul's doxology or his overwhelming statement of worship to God. The way that God has orchestrated his salvation for Jews and Gentiles is beyond human comprehension. Paul had very clear revelation about how God planned to save his people, but very little insight as to why. This doxology is Paul's exclamation of that great mystery that is the ways in which God does things. They are so different than the ways we would do things. And our small minds are so incredibly incapable of understanding God's plans from beginning to end. But one thing is for certain, and we can see it throughout the arc of history. God is good and he deserves all our glory and honor forever. Amen and amen. So that ends chapter 11. So what little tidbits we got out of chapter 11. First one, that God knew that Israel was going to reject him. So he had a plan. Mm -hmm. He had a plan for the Gentiles. So he opened up salvation to Gentiles. And it wasn't that he rejected them 
God didn't reject Israel. Israel rejected him through disbelief. Right. Because of their disbelief, they were disconnected, right? Right. So, and because of this, we had the opportunity to be engrafted in. And because of our engrafting in, it does not make us any better, nor are we replacing the true relationship between God and Israel. Because Israel is still God's chosen people. Mm-hmm. There is coming, there's been there's a prophetic uh what's that i want to say a prophetic announcement that is out that still has yet to be um fulfilled the prophecy that israel is returning back and they are going to acknowledge all of israel is going to acknowledge that jesus was the messiah once that happens, God's coming back. So in the meantime, we as Gentiles, because we have been grafted in, we need to make extra sure that we are living a life that is pleasing to God, that we are really living according to the scriptures, that we are li- really living according to God's laws. Because once he comes back, once the Jews recognize and they and they confess that Jesus was the Messiah, he's coming back. And if we're not in that place, we're not still engrafted in that tree, we will not take it in. Okay. And it takes um it takes it, another thing that Paul pointed out was that. Because we are, um, because we have been engrafted in, Paul was concerned about the Gentile becoming conceit by, by this reality because they will take the word and they will start twisting it and changing it to fit their sins, just, just like Israel did. That's how Israel got cut off. Because they were taking it and they were justifying their sins through the scriptures. And as we see today, this is happening again. Yeah. They're taking the word and they're trying to fit it to, to encompass their sin. And so, honestly, they have been cut off. Because the same thing that caused a disconnection with Israel and God they're doing the same thing. A lot of people questioning whether Jesus was real. Yeah. Even questioning whether God is real. They're questioning the whole, this whole thing of salvation. Is it worth it? Is it really all it's cut up to be? Is it really, or is it just a book that somebody decided to write and everybody reading and thinking, you know, like it's some type of, like it's not real, like the whole word of God, the whole thing of salvation, God, Jesus, is it really, really real? And we have people questioning that. People don't believe in God. Literally, they do not believe in God. They don't believe there's a heaven or a hell. That's where the mercy is extended. That's where God's mercy is being extended right now to those who do not believe. And his desire is that they will come to realization that the Bible is real, God is real, Jesus is the Messiah, 
and he's coming back. And because we believe, so now our lives need to uh, confess our salvation. Remember how we said in, in Romans chapter 10, he made that point about our justification before God comes from the faith we possess in our hearts and our salvation comes from the confession we make before other people. So our justification uh, before God comes from the faith, from our belief in our heart, that, that, that justification is between you and God. Can nobody judge you? Your justification, your relationship with God is a heart posture with God. Can't nobody see that. But they, but your salvation comes from the confession we make before other people. Mm -hmm. How we live, how we confess, how we live, how we do our day-to-day, -day, how we treat one another, how we walk circumspectly amongst the people of God. That is what shows the world our confession of salvation. But our justification is before God in our hearts because we believe God wholeheartedly. So therefore we are justified. You know, we should not, and it's, mad, it's sad because the enemy will, will have you spend time in, in, in and cause you to go around and around and around trying to justify or trying to prove to others your walk. Or it doesn't matter whether they believe you or not. What matters is that God believes you and that you have a relationship with the Father, that your heart is turned towards him. That's what matters. And by your lifestyle, that's where your confession comes in. That's where they'll say, okay, yeah, he's, yeah, he or she is definitely living for the Lord. Look at how she's acting. Look at how she's talking. Look at her mannerism. Look at how she's doing it. Look how she's doing that. You know, and it's not just trying to show. It's not works. It's just how you live. You don't have to prove mm -hmm. nobody. Just live this thing. Live it, live it, live it, live it in truth. Doesn't matter. Is your heart in the right place with God? Like God is only, that's the only one that matters. And if you're not, you know, you make a fool us, but you're not fooling God. And God is the one you need to be uh, concerned about, not whether or not you've proven it to us. Because at the end of the day, when you die, we ain't going to put you in heaven. <laughs> well, we ain't going to stand there and say, well, he did this and he did that. So we think he should go to heaven. No. What was his relationship with God? What was that person's, how did that person, were they justified before God? And you can get on platforms and preach and travel the world and prophesy and do all kinds of stuff. But if your heart posture ain't justified before God, he can be like, depart from me, you work of iniquity, I know you not. I don't know who you is because we never had a relationship. So I don't even know who you are. And that's a scary thing because people like to like to ride off of works. It ain't about works. It's about grace. 
because you believe God grants you grace. That's the key. Amen. Amen. I'm done. So, Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you, Lord God, for this time. We thank you, Lord God, for just opening our eyes to truth. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that this word will rest in us. Father, that we will go back and read the scriptures again and, and re-digest and read again, re-digest anything that we may have missed. It may be another small nugget that we may stumble across, Father, concerning your work. Because every day, your word is alive and living. And every time we read it, Father, we see something different. Every time we read it, Father, you, you reveal something new to us. And God, we thank you. We thank you, Father, because it's our desire to get a full understanding of what it is that you require of us, that we may walk upright before you. God, I pray that each and every one that is listening under the sound of my voice, Father, I pray that you will bless them real good. Father, I pray, oh God, that you will give them good rest, good sleep, Father. Even visit them tonight in a dream, Father. Speak to them, Father. Open up their eyes, open up their spiritual eyes that they may see, unclog their spiritual ears that they may hear. Father, reveal unto them your desire, hallelujah, the plan that you have for them. Father, I pray now as we uh, depart one from another, God, that we get good sleep. Father, no interrupted sleep, good rest. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, that your angels remain encamped around about us, around our homes. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we honor you, and we give you all glory in your son Jesus' name, Yeshua HaMashiach, amen and amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us on tonight. We pray that you are encouraged and inspired. If you desire to be a blessing to the ministry, you may do so by sending a love gift to www.paypal.me forward slash VLCC or through our cash app, which is the dollar sign VLCC Life. We also invite you to stop by our website by clicking on the link. May God bless you and may your day always be victorious.